established churches see, uh, not that they don't see God's hand move, because they do if they are a real church of God, but it's just differently, I think, for a church planter. And uh, so I'm, uh, you know, in awe of what God has done through the life of Brother David Spencer and Sister Dolores. And, um, you know, it, 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 it hit me by surprise, too. Uh, when I sat and thought the other day about how long I've actually known this brother. And, you know, um, I knew him. He was, he was a few pounds heavier then, so. And I was a few pounds lighter. And so we've, we've reversed. We've reversed that trend. And so, um, and, and also, too, I, you know, just I remember one time when he first visited uh, over at Old New Testament when my dad was pastoring and, and, you know, he, he was sweating. I saw him wiping his head a few minutes ago. He was still sweating. And my dad said, I think their brother got a little bit more anointing than we do. <laughs> and then I, um, you know, as I was sharing, you know, I, I heard him spout off those Greek, you know, words a while ago. And, and, I, and it brought me back to the Luo verbs and the Hebrew classes that we struggled with. And we, you know, we, they, they believe in taking a pound of flesh at the seminary, that's for sure. Uh, to Sister Dolores, thank you for, you know, for hosting us the other evening. Uh, as they took us to, it was an, a Thai food restaurant, and I had to sit my 200 plus pounds into the, you know, the pit there, and it was, uh, it was interesting. I even had someone come up and thought I was Mike Singletary. Can you believe that? <laughs> All right, now, I've never heard Mike Singletary, but we enjoyed our time, enjoyed our, you know, I mean, that, that, was, that one was the first time I've ever heard that one, but, you know, um, and, you know, so, you know, it is, it is really good. Um, uh, and, and to my wife, thank you. Um, you know, the interesting thing, you know, we have, we have three boys together. The interesting thing, you know, that happened uh, uh, with the whole going back to school, uh, David, is when I, when I first talked to her about going back to school to pursue my doctorate, she said, not right now. <laughs> and so I didn't go. Uh, because seminary, it is, it is, a, it is a, a, a trying time. You know, it, it does, um, I think, you know, work you in many ways. And and, uh, and so when she said, not right now, I, I listened. And it was a few years later, and uh, as I pursued my doctorate, it was, you know, the program and the offering of scholarship that they were able to do that, you know, helped me work it out. And it didn't really take, uh, the way our schedules were at that time, did not take me away from the family in the evening time as seminary, uh, going through my master's degree had. And so, uh, but she has been uh, my bride for, 20, almost 25 years. I, um, I first met Erica, I was 16 years old. So um, I, um, I, I was a junior in high school. She was a freshman in college. I liked older women. And, and I am 46, yeah, <laughs> 30 years. <laughs> so uh, we are, uh, we, we have known each other over half of our lives now, so, and we've been together um, half of, all, over half of our lives. So she has been you know, a gem to me, and so thank you for being here. Um, one other thing before I read my scripture. 
uh, is, you know, one of the things that, you know, as he, David mentioned, that we're in transition from um, our church to another church. And one of the reasons why, you know, we decided to keep the name Bible Way was because of the legacy of Dr. Pastor Eddie Lane, who was one of the founders of what we know as the Bible Church Movement, the Black Bible Church Movement down in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you know, David, this is about the third or fourth opportunity that has come before me to actually merge my church with another church, uh, where I would still be the pastor. Interestingly enough, I turned down the others because of that whole name thing. Um, you know, one of the things I shared with the other churches, if, if you all want us to change our name, y'all got to do the same thing. But the work and the legacy of Pastor Lane was so much to me, so much to Brother David. Uh, and, you know, there is not an African-American that has come through Dallas Seminary that did not come there because of him. And, and hundreds and hundreds, including if you've heard of Dr. Anthony Evans, uh, he was influential in bringing all of us through the seminary. And, you know, if you ever went to his office, whether you were in trouble or not, you felt like you were in trouble. But, um, but he was that instrumental. And so when this opportunity presented itself about, um, you know, joining our churches together, um, for me, the name was not even an issue. And so, and you know, interestingly enough, all of our leaders were also comfortable with that. That just shares with you the, the enormity of, uh, you know, his influence that he had upon the life of, you know, so many, you know, hundreds around the world now, literally, uh, ministers, and as they have impacted thousands in some cases of others uh, and his life and his legacy and his ministry. So I look forward to this transition over the next, you know, 30 to 45 days. And so I, I do ask that you all pray for us uh, because it's going to be a hard work too that we're going into uh, with regard to anytime you're trying to merge and bring two cultures together, it's going to be tough. Just like marriage, you know, you bring two cultures together in marriage and uh, you you, you know, everything is lovey-dovey up until you get to actually living together and you start recognizing all those differences that you actually have. Um, and so those are the things that we're going to look forward to and the challenges of that and overcoming that. So uh, Church of Chicago, again, thank you for having us. I am going to be reading from 1 King uh, chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. If you would, please uh, stand as I read those three verses. 1 King 19, verses 19 through 21. And it reads, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Father, this time we come before you right now just thanking you for all you've done. Uh, consecrate us now to the service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let our souls look up 
with a steadfast hope, and our wills be lost in thine. Draw us nearer in the strong and mighty name of Jesus that I pray and all of God's people said. Amen. And you may be seated. On February the 19th, 1519, the Spanish explorer Herman Cortez set sail for South America with an entourage of 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. The indigenous population upon his arrival was approximately 5 million people. From purely a mathematical standpoint, the odds were stacked against him by a ratio of 7,541 to 1. Two previous expeditions had failed to even establish a settlement in the New World. Yet Cortes conquered much of what we know today as South America. What Cortes is reported to have done after landing in his epic tale of mythic proportions is he issued an order to burn the ships. And burning all of his ships, he turned this mission into an all-or-nothing proposition. As his crew watched their fleet of ships burn and sink, they came to terms with the fact that retreat was not an option. There is a lesson to be learned. Nine times out of ten, failure is resorting to plan B when plan A gets too risky. They didn't burn the ships. If they had not, they would have failed because two previous expeditions had already failed. But interestingly enough, uh, plan A people don't have a plan B. It's plan A or bus. They would rather crash and burn going after their God-ordained dreams than succeed at doing something else. Now, and I will tell you, some of this, a lot of this information is information that I, I learned when I was going through my doctoral dissertation, so bear with me. It's not all original, but it is enough. But the interesting thing about this is that plan A people don't have a plan B. There are moments in life when we need to burn the ships to our past and buy in and sell out to God's program. We need saints commitment from God's people to the church today. Commitment is what is lacking within the church at large, and today we get caught up into everything else but God. We get caught up into, you know, having a seat at the table of influence at the White House. We get caught up into having, you know, whatever extravagant, you know, unnecessary things that we need, but we've made them necessary in our lives. We get caught up into looking at our own past. The life saints of the believer, though, should look, look radically different than it does today in our culture. We want to hold on to our past failures or sometimes our past successes. We want to hold on to old bad habits. We, we want to hold on sometimes to past guilt, even sometimes our own laziness. We want to hold on to it. So that prevents us from making the commitment that we should make to God. As I was told that your, your theme this, talk, this year is dealing with the faithfulness of God and faithfulness of his people, let me, let me tell you something. Don't allow your history to stop you from being the committed believer that you are supposed to be. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about buying in 
and selling out to God's program. My text obviously is out of 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And, and if we're going to sell out, if we're going to buy in and sell out to God's program, one of the things we have to do first is eliminate the possibility of moving backwards. Here in the text, we see the ministry of Elijah is in full effect. One of the things we see is that he's, he's into his ministry. Just a, few, uh, just a few passages of scripture before, you will see that you know, he's thinking that he's the only man that is left. He's the only prophet that's left. But God is reminding him that I have 7,000 more. And he says, I'm really, in essence, about to send you to meet one of them. And he says here that he is in full effect. But now Brother Elisha is about to get started into his prophetic ministry. And here what we see is that he is about to accept the mantle of his prophetic ministry. He's going to spend some time with brother Elijah being mentored by him and being prepared to accept the ministry and the prophetic call that God had on his life. You know, as I was getting this sermon together, one of the things that, that I couldn't help but remember or recognize is that, you know, as I go to my gym, I, I go to LA Fitness, and one of the things that I see is everybody in there who is about 30 years and up are always living their glory days from high school. It seems like everybody that, you, that, that played high school football was an All-American in high school. Interestingly enough, you never heard of them. You never saw them playing for any college, but yet I, I, I go to the gym and I'm telling you, every brother I meet was All-American in high school. They were either All-American in football, they were All-American in basketball, they were the fastest athlete, they were the strongest athlete, and, 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 you know, and they're all my age, a lot of them are my age, and I'm saying, but why did I never hear of you? Because we all went to some of the same schools, some of the same areas, some of the same aerial schools, so I should have heard of you. Interestingly enough, one of the things that happened is, is I work with some guys from the high school that I attended, and, and we have gotten together to put a scholarship together for some of the schools, uh, from, uh, from uh, some of the children that played football uh, still at the high school that we attended, and these are the ones who were not quite good enough to get a scholarship, but their grades are still good enough to get, you know, maybe some academic help. So what we have decided to do is we have come together, some of the former football players of the team that I played for, and, and we decided to start raising money every year so that we can send three to four children off to college with some money in their pocket to have a scholarship. I remember one of the guys that played uh, football with me along, along the way is he was telling us about how cold-blooded he was when he was in high school. Now, one of the things I had to remind him is, we all remind him is, don't you recall we were there when you played? We were all on the same team, and we know that you were not as good as you pretend to be. What I, what I surmise is that this guy has told that lie so long that he forgot we played with him and he's convinced himself of how good he actually was. Some people have just not let their past glories go. Some people have just not let it go and it stops them from accomplishing the goal that they're supposed to set out to accomplish. 
And one of the things that happened for us is he was telling us about all these things he was going to do, and he dropped the ball on everything because we all gave him kind of a hard time about remembering, hey, no, you didn't do all this, brother. And, and so therefore he stopped. And if we had just allowed him to have his way, none of the monies that we raised for the scholarship would have been raised. But we went on without him. Because the goal for us was not about our high school glory days. The goal for us was to raise finances for those who were in high school who needed some help. You see, what happens is when we let our past get into the way and we do not shut the door to our past, it stops us from becoming the person that God would have us to be. And in the text, one of the things we see in verses uh, 19 through 21, one of the things we see is that Brother Elisha, he gave up the door to his past in order to buy in and sell out to God's plan. Notice what the text says. He was working, in essence, in the family business. He was, he was, more, he was working with his oxen. He had 12 pair of oxen, and the text will see that he decided to, to slay them all and have a barbecue. Now, being from Texas, I know a lot about barbecue. Being from Texas, I cook my own, all right? And if you are in Texas and you don't know how to barbecue, you don't belong in Texas. And, and in Chicago, you have the best pizza I've ever had, but give us the barbecue, all right? And here's the thing. This brother decided, I'm killing all of my oxen, I'm going, to boil, I'm going to melt down the instruments, and I'm going to cook the calves, and we're going to have a feast. He did that because of the fact that he was saying, I am getting rid of the things of my past, I'm getting rid of, if you would, the, I'm, I'm letting go of the family business so I can buy in and sell out to God's program. He was determined that his livelihood, was even at stake in this, he was willing to give up his very livelihood so that he could follow God's program. Are you willing to give up whatever it is that you're holding on to in order to follow the program that God has for you? One of the things that we as believers have to remember is God has given us a purpose. He's given us a plan. And one of the things that he wants us to do is make sure that at the heart of, of, of ministry for every believer is discipleship. As we look back, we saw that Cortez closed the door to his past and he said that he wasn't going back to Spain. And that's the reason why he burned his ships. He had no plan B. There was no alternative but to colonize the new world. For believers, there is no alternative but for us to make disciples because that's what God has called us to do. You want to glorify God, then he says, one way you show me my glory is by making disciples. There is no other choice for the believer. It is all or nothing. You know, the idea there is, Lord, for you, I'm going to live or I'm going to die trying to live for you. So there is no plan B when it comes to discipleship for the believer. One of the things that we can do is we can try different methods, but we, we have to make sure that I glorify God by making disciples. Elijah couldn't go back to his old way of life. He had given it up. He, 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 he killed the calves or killed the oxen, and he melted down the instruments with them. Secondly, you have to also make a statement of faith. Michael and Maria Dorso are the founders of Christ Tabernacle in Queens, New York. 
Their spiritual journey started out with a dramatic conversion experience. In their 20s, Michael and Maria were as far from God as you can get. In fact, they mocked everything remotely religious. They were living together, living from drug fix to drug fix. Then one day, Maria mysteriously came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. She wasn't even in church at the time. She wasn't reading the Bible. What she was doing is they were in their hotel room while on conviction, while on vacation when the conviction came out of nowhere. What she didn't know until she returned home is that a group of her friends had gotten saved and started praying for her. They started praying for her, started interceding on her behalf. And at that moment, what she did not know, but at that moment when they started praying for her, all of a sudden, she started getting convicted. When they returned to New York, Michael and Maria stopped sleeping together and started going to church together. After making the decision to follow Christ, Michael knew he needed to divorce himself from his past. So what he did is he gathered all of his drug paraphernalia along with all of his magazines and porn videos that were vestiges of his old self, and one by one he dropped them down the incinerator chute of their apartment building. That, saints, making a statement from God, for God. He was saying that his life has radically changed. He was saying that his life is now brand new. He was saying that, Lord, I'm going to live out for you, I'm going to live for you, and I'm going to die for you. Paul makes a statement similar. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That is a statement of faith that he's making, saints, and God is asking us to make the same kind of declarative statement. He is asking us that whatever it is that is keeping you from making a commitment to me, he is saying, get rid of all those things that stop you from being committed to me and sold out to me. Is there anything that's hanging you up, that's hanging you up from following God the way you should? If we look close enough and we know that we're not living the way God would have us to live, if we really look close enough at our lives and examine our lives, we'll find that here are some things that have prevented me from being the person that God wants me to be. You remember the prostitute that anointed Jesus' feet? Remember what she did? She took her alabaster jar. This perfume that costs roughly about a year's wages. I would imagine that this was her, oh, this was her life savings. Does anyone of us have in our bank account right now an entire year's wages? But she took everything that she had, everything that was of value, everything that was of cost, she broke it open and she poured it out on the Lord's feet. Interesting thing about this is when you look at the story, what you'll find is that the disciples, they were upset because why? They said that, you know what? We could have taken this, sold it, and gave it to the poor. But Jesus said to them, no, 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 y'all stop tripping over that because what this lady is doing, she's doing a very good thing for me. The poor are always going to be with you. You're going to always have the poor with you. But, but he said that wherever the word of God is proclaimed, you will hear about this lady, and we're hearing about it today. Amen. Matthew 26, she made her statement of faith. Where is your statement of faith? Where is your statement that says, Lord, I'm going to live for you? 
Where is your statement that says, Lord, I'm going to sell out for you? Where is the statement that says, Lord, for you I live and for you I'll die? Notice what Brother Elisha had said. He said to, to Brother Elijah, he said, look, let me kiss my father and my mother. Then, he says, I will follow you. He's given up the things of his past. He's given up his livelihood. He's given up his family business. And he is saying, I'm going to follow you, Brother Elijah. Now, in deciding to follow Elijah, he's not just following Elijah, but he's following ultimately God. So he is saying, I'm committing the rest of my life to the service of God the Father. I'm committing myself and I'm preparing myself by following after God's man, Brother Elijah. Interestingly enough, when you look in the text, one of the things that he did also in making his statement, when you look over in uh, uh, second, uh, when you look over in Second Kings, one of the things you'll find is that Elisha also asked for a double portion of Elijah's ministry. And one of the things you'll find when you study the life of Elisha is you'll find that he performed exactly uh, two times as many miracles as Brother Elijah had uh, had performed. All up under the work of God and the influence of the Holy Spirit. He made a statement. He made a statement of faith. He burned his plow, cooked his cow, and walked away from his family business. Making a statement means you have to change your heart. Making a statement of faith means you have to change your actions. Making a statement of faith means you have to change the direction that you are headed in and go the way that God is calling you to go. Finally, we also have to remember that we got to press forward. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal for the believer which lies ahead is the heavenly call of God on our lives. Like the athlete who presses forward to the finish line. We press forward to heaven. Interestingly enough, I have a son uh, who, I have a couple of sons who are starting to really excel in their fields. Uh, my middle son is also a musician. He played the trumpet. He didn't play it as much anymore, but he, he stuck with the piano. Uh, my oldest boy plays the drum, uh, but my youngest son is the athlete. He's a boxer. He won the Golden Gloves tournament in Dallas last year. And, and so he's going to try out for the nat U.S. national team this year, and we'll see what happens. But he's pretty good. He's pretty good. One of the things that he's always doing, though, you'll see him at home, is he's always shadow boxing, making all kinds of noises. And, it's tss, 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 and all you hear is that, that, that little breathing noise that he makes as he's shadow boxing. You know, he'll tell us, look at this, look at this, look how fast my hand speed is, and all these kind of things. But all of that stuff ultimately serves a purpose, to get him ready. To get him ready to accomplish his goal. 
when he won the Golden Gloves last year, this was actually the first time he had stepped in the squared circle with anybody because he didn't start boxing until he was 18 years old. And, and the reason why we wouldn't let him box before then was because mama wouldn't let him box before then. Daddy was okay with it, but mama said, no, nah, he ain't getting out there, uh-uh. So when he turned 18, he went on on his own. And then he said, look, I'm 18 years, I said, Eric, let him go ahead and do his due. And he got out there and he won the entire tournament at 140 pounds. He dropped 35 pounds because he was weighing 175, ripped up. He was lifting weights, all that. And they said, because of your height, we want you to drop 35 pounds. And brother, he did that within about three months. I wish I could do that. All he did was just, you know, started eating, you know, just fish and vegetables and just running every day. He tuned his body to the point where he was 140 pounds, very little fat, and all of a sudden he was in the gym, he was in the ring winning the tournament. Everything he did was so that he could move forward to become a champion. That's exactly what he did. We press forward because God wants us to enjoy the benefits of life with him. Ultimately, we press forward to receive our crown. Our crown, yes, will happen on the other side of glory, but we work towards receiving that crown this side of glory. Cortez burned his ships and set out to colonize the land. He moved forward and he did not look back. He couldn't go back to Spain because, again, the ships were burned. Matthew 11, verses 12, says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Meaning that he wants us to take Take the keys that he's given us. He wants us to advance the kingdom and advance in the kingdom where we're sharing the gospel with people. Every single one of us knows someone that needs to know Jesus Christ. And one of the things that, that I say to our leaders when, when they say, well, everybody I know is already in church and already saved, then I say you need to meet some new people. We have to get out of our comfort zone to get to the point where we are always thinking, how can I introduce Christ to the next man? How can I introduce Christ to the next woman? And how can I make disciples? One of the things about being a sports fan is in football, when you are up by so many points, you go into what's called the prevent defense. And I don't really like the prevent defense. There are some who say the prevent defense keeps you or it prevents you from winning the game. Because the prevent defense is, is designed to really give up a lot of yards in between. And one of the things that happens is it keeps, it keeps, it's supposed to keep them from being able to burn you with the long bomb. So you drop your safeties back, your corners back a long way, and then you just have a lot of open field. But that's really not the way God wants us to live this Christian life. We don't play defense. We play offense. 
And he says in Matthew 16, remember what the text says, the gates of hell would not prevail against the, against the kingdom. Meaning that the gates of hell is on defense and we are on offense. And he's saying that being on offense, notice what the text said, the gates of hell would not prevail. Meaning that you will have a victorious life. As a believer, we got to play offense. We got to press forward. We got to move forward and recognize that God has wonderful plans for us. That God wants us to, to take his kingdom and advance it. Here we see Brother Elijah, Elisha rather, saying, I'm going to give it up and I'm going to follow you. And he says, go back again for what have I done? So he returned from following him. He took the pair of oxen and he sacrificed them and bore the flesh and he is saying that after, from this moment on, everything that I do is to advance God's kingdom. Everything that he had committed himself to doing was for the advancement of the kingdom of God. How do you press forward? Now, in your day-to-day -day routine, I know we can get into our habits. But even in your day-to-day -day routine, you can advance God's kingdom. Not just by modeling Christianity, and that's one thing you should do. You should model it. That's the best way to teach anyone. But we also have to open up our mouths and share the gospel. Because, you know, a lot of times people just think, oh, you're just a good person. You know, you know and a lot of us like to think of ourselves as good people anyway. I mean, we don't hurt anybody. We don't cross our neighbors. We ain't cussing folk out, right? At least not always. <laughs> we like to think of ourselves as generally good people. So we think that we are a pretty good model. But at the end of the day, the gospel has to be told. When do you share the gospel with anybody? That's how we press forward. That's how we advance God's kingdom. Are you willing to close the doors to your past? Are you willing to make a statement of faith? And are you willing to move forward for the advancement of the kingdom? When you do those things, you are buying in and you're selling out to God's program. May God bless you and keep you. Thank you for having me.